0: Will the Falcons' offensive line continue to improve in 2023? Or was last season's success a mirage? You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman, a.k.a. Mr. Drew, a.k.a. Sirius Black. And, of course, the very humble host of this illustrious Locked on Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of Locked on Sports Atlanta, your team every day. And we thank each and every one of you that subscribes or follows for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast shout out to the everydayers that make this illustrious podcast, their first listen each and every day. So follow in their footsteps by hitting us up on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So we are wrapping up our positional breakdowns for the offensive side of the ball, heading into training camp. And we'll be talking about the offensive line. We'll be getting to the defense, not next week, but the week after Uh, we'll, we'll have some, stuff in store for you next week as a palette cleanser during the holiday week and first week of July. But let's talk about the offensive line and let's talk about sort of the big story where the Falcons will have to answer this upcoming season with this position group. And that's basically, can they pick up where they left off last season? Right. We've come a very long way so far from this time a year ago, when I was doing the positional preview for Last year's offensive line where so much of the quote-unquote negativity uh, uh, on this podcast was wrapped up in my concerns with the offensive line. And I think this is a a golden opportunity to go back and show you guys a clip from last year's breakdown where it kind of shows everything that's kind of happened on this podcast over the last year. So let's play that clip for you guys right now. I sat here these last couple of days thinking about this offensive line and I, I came to the realization and part of this revelation for me is the realization that the root of my skepticism is centered on this offensive line like I sat here at the end of last season and basically said you know the one thing that this regime can do to win me over is fix the offensive line that if they fix the offensive line you know good things will happen uh and then we watch them this offseason you know make minimal efforts to fix the offensive line and that's sort of the root of my skepticism as we sit here and i go through this therapy special session every single day on the lockdown falcons podcast and you know it, it's frustrating for me just because like i see when i watch the film and you know that's something i do from time to time as i watch film uh i gotta always remind you guys of that but uh you know i watch the film and i'm like man if if this offensive line was good You know, all my criticism of Arthur Smith's offense, all these various things, like their identity is wrapped up in being a physical football team. And I know a lot of people over the last several months have been, you know, talking about how much more physical we're going to be because, you know, we got – wide receivers that are like two inches taller or we got a linebacker that's an inch taller and we're going to be so much more physical and I just kind of roll my eyes at that but like we all sit here and know that if you want to be a physical football team you have to do it in the trenches it ain't about you know your skill position players being slightly taller than the opposing team's skill position players that doesn't make you a physical football team Um, and so that's why it's kind of frustrating to me that the offensive line hasn't uh, been significantly addressed but like you know look I hope they're going to be better. You know, we're going to sit here and expect them to be better. It's just a question of how much better. And a big part of how much better this offensive line is going to be is hinging on offensive line coach Dwayne Ledford, right? We're not expecting Dwayne Ledford to be this miracle worker or anything like that. But, you know, um, I think there's reasons for optimism, right? And the reason for optimism surrounding Dwayne Ledford is that he's reputed to be the Alex Gibbs of, you know, college football, right? And now he's just going to have to be Alex Gibbs 2.0 at least, of the NFL moving forward with implementing this outside zone blocking scheme that the Falcons love to run. So clearly, uh, you know, I talked, I joked about therapy and wasn't in therapy yet at that point in time, but did get into actual therapy rather than just using the podcast as my therapy session. But if you guys are wondering where Mr. Drew, AKA, you know, my friends call me negative Nancy, you can call me Mr. Drew, right? Where that person went, right? There's your answer. That, kind of basically summarizes uh, and and basically part of the reason why I'm more optimistic and much more willing to buy into this regime again was answered in that two minute clip from last year. And so I, I laid all my cards out on the table at the end of the 2021 season, where it's like, fix the offensive line. And, uh, you know, a lot of my issues with the current state of this roster and this team and et cetera goes away. And they didn't really address it in the off season, but you know, thanks to our guy, Dwayne Ledford, uh it did feel like they wound up solving that problem so clearly we've come a very very long way where you know this offensive line is arguably a a strength of this roster right and you know what's interesting about it is like that journey wasn't overnight right to get to where we are now with this offensive line right because at the beginning of the 2022 season like it looked like the offensive line was still a major problem because it was just evidenced by how Arthur Smith was calling plays, right? He was basically telling the world with his play calling that he had zero trust in this offensive line, especially when it came to the passing game, right? The Falcons utilizing a historic amount of play action passing that when they did throw the ball, they often did it with, you know, max protect with seven or eight blockers, right? They ran the ball rather than throwing the ball when they were behind in all part because they did not trust this offensive line to hold up in those, you know, passing sort of situations. But as the season wore on, we saw that start to change. That was part of the evolution that the Falcons were hoping and trying to undergo over the course of the season, evidenced by if you look at the PFF numbers in terms of how often the Falcons quarterbacks were pressured throughout at various points in the season, the first 10 Games of the season, weeks one through 10, Mariota was pressured on 41% of his dropbacks, which was the ninth most in the NFL over that period of time. And then from weeks 11 through 13, and we noted this on the podcast at the time, that he was only pressured on about 27% of his dropbacks, which was 30th in the league during that three-week stretch. And that basically continued once the Falcons made the switch to Desmond Ritter, where Desmond Ritter was only pressured on 29% of his dropbacks in his four starts, again, 30th in the NFL over those final four weeks of the season and you saw the falcons with desmond ritter in the lineup be much more willing to go to empty sets or six-man protections the sort of normal protections that you often see in the nfl and you can you look at that also by looking at pff's true pass set metric which is excluding all the plays that have less than four rushers all the play action plays all the screens you know the short dropbacks, the plays where the time to throw was extremely quick so under two seconds and when Mariota was the starter the falcons averaged about eight of those true pass sets per game which is a very low number when ritter became the starter that number increased to about 12 per game now for most teams in the nfl that number is typically between like 15 and 20 per game so like clearly the falcons still are calling an offense designed to mass their offensive line. But this is why, like, when we had Brandon Thorne on the podcast after the draft to talk about Matthew Bergeron and Javon Gwynn, and he talked about how Arthur Smith's play calling was such that it made it easy for offensive linemen, and part of the reason why Brandon Thorne was not as willing to give Chris Lindstrom the love that, say, a website like PFF did, who graded out Lindstrom as the, their highest graded offensive lineman last year and highest graded player, because some of that was the scheme taking pressure off of Chris Lindstrom over other guards like Zach Martin and, and Shaq Mason and Brandon Scherf that, you know, are being put in those true pass set situations far more than what Lindstrom was. But, you know, we don't, take anything away from Lindstrom or, or Arthur Smith in that regard, you know, that's what we call as, as Brandon Thorne indicated, that's good coaching, right? Coaching around a weakness. You perceive a weakness on your roster and you basically say, I'm going to coach around this so that this is no longer a, you know, a debilitating weakness on our team. And that was something that the Falcons couldn't coach around in 2021, but they were able to coach around in 2022, which is part of the reason why You know, if you go back a year ago and listen to how I talked about Arthur Smith and his play calling and all that stuff and his coaching ability, it's not as positive as it is today. Right. So, of course, that leaves us with the question of will the Falcons offense pick up where they left off this offensive line in particular um, at the end of last year where we saw that progression and will that progression continue into this year and by year's end? Will the Falcons continue to evolve their passing game to that the point maybe they'll be a normal passing offense, not as reliant on the play action and, you know, all these various things to hide their offensive line, right? You know, and PFF rated the Falcons offensive line in their, you know, offensive line rankings roughly two plus weeks ago. You know, they ranked the Falcons offensive line seventh in the NFL, which, again— This time last year we we were pretty we were convinced that there would be another year of of being a bottom five unit and to basically flip that overnight. And so that is a testament to not only Arthur Smith, his coaching, Dwayne Ledford, his coaching, and of course the players themselves by you know working on their craft and getting better and and they deserve all the credit, even if we spend far more time on this podcast, you know, highlighting what the coaches did to, you know, get more out of these players. But players deserve all the credit in the world you know the vast majority of the guys on the roster last year did improve from 2021 to 2022 and so you know the old me the old mr drew would be sitting here worried about regression on, on today's episode and there's no doubt that there's still a part of that lingering in the back of my mind but you know not gonna harp on that anymore because you know at this point in time You know, I believe that this team will go as far as our offensive line is able to take it. And so if there is a step back for this offensive line, then you can expect the Falcons to fall short of their goals this season, which, you know, potentially is making the postseason. And if this offensive line is able to take a step forward, then I do believe that the sky is the limit for what this team can achieve this upcoming season. And so, you know, now today I choose to look at the potential And the upside rather than worrying about, you know, that other shoe dropping and and potential regression this upcoming season. So, you know, one factor that's going to determine whether or not this offensive line is headed in the right direction is going to be who winds up being the starter at the left guard position and will break down the battle between Matthew Bergeron and Matt Hennessy as we continue today's Locked On Falcons. But first, guys, I want to tell you that this is the perfect opportunity to take your first swing. At betting on Major League Baseball over at FanDuel because you'll get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. If you bet just $20, you'll get $20, $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's $200. You can spend betting on everything from the money line to the over-unders to who you think is going to hit that first home run all on an app that's safe, secure, super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place. To bet on MLB than FanDuel America's number one sports book. So sign up today by visiting fanDuel.com slash locked on, and you'll get 200 dollars in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. So continuing today's episode talking about this positional battle. And what's funny is normally when we do these you know, positional camp previews. Most summers we do it, you know, every year we're, we're talking about like, what are the key roster battles and what are the key, you know, position battles and whatnot. And so far this week, when we've done all the other positions at quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, we haven't really talked about those types of competitions because they don't really exist. Right. You can talk about like that wide receiver five spot is up for grabs. You can talk about the potential fourth tight end between, john fitzpatrick and felipe franks is, is a competition but outside of that the falcons roster is pretty much set at their skill positions on offense and again i think that's a testament to how far we've come as you know a, a team because you know it, it indicates that the roster is in much better shape than it has been the last couple of years when they've been trying to figure out stuff and, and get out of cap hell and all that sort of stuff but You know, one of the few spots that we do have a legit competition on the offensive side of the ball is at this left guard position where Matthew Bergeron and Matt Hennessey are expected to compete for that starting left guard spot. You know, since the draft, uh, we've made the assumption that it's probably Bergeron's job to lose, but we'll have to see. I think, you know, hennessy has been taking the vast majority of the first team reps throughout the offseason. That's not a surprise. And, you know, I think there's a legit chance that Hennessy does wind up winning that competition. You know, I'm not necessarily going to be as gung-ho making predictions about who's going to win certain roster battles because just rewind the clock again to last year. And I was like, uh, on that episode, talking about the offensive line, I'm like, yeah, there's no chance that Jalen Mayfield gets beat out by Elijah Wilkinson. And even if he does, like, there's little to no chance that that's going to work out in the Falcons' favor. So, you know, take that L, learn from that mistake, and just basically, you know, we'll see what happens, right? So, you know, The way I figure it'll go is if if Bergeron performs well and shows that he's ready to start, then he'll start. If not, then it'll be Hennessy, right? Again, not anything super profound in that analysis. But, you know, we've seen this team throw a unproven rookie to the Wolves at the left guard position before. And I don't think the Falcons are going to make that mistake, right? And that's, to me, part of it, what people missed with the whole Ritter thing last year which was everybody assumed that the Falcons were waiting on Desmond Ritter to waited to bench Mariota because they didn't feel good about Desmond Ritter. And it was more like, hey, they're learning the lessons that happened a year prior with starting Jalen Mayfield when he wasn't ready to start. And they don't want to necessarily throw a rookie to the wolves before he's ready. So, you know, I think the Falcons are going to go out of their way to avoid falling into a similar predicament as they found themselves with Jalen Mayfield starting in 2021. And, you know, I don't think Bergeron will have the same level of struggles that Mayfield had, but I do expect there to be some form of growing pains if he does wind up being uh, the day one starter for the Falcons, but certainly probably not to the degree that we saw for with Mayfield in 2021. And I think the things that are working against Bergeron winning the, the competition is he is, like Mayfield, switching to a new position. He did get some work at left guard at the senior bowl practice and whatnot, but, you know, that... Positions, which we know is not easy, like some players can successfully make that transition, but a lot of players can't. Right. And the other factor working against Bergeron is his um, limited experience in the Falcons blocking scheme. Like he did play in, in a zone heavy scheme in, at college. But, you know, zone schemes tend to take a little bit of time to adjust to, right? I and mean, that's one of the differences between a zone blocking scheme versus a man or gap blocking scheme where man and gap stuff, it's like, okay, block that guy, right? There's not a whole lot of thinking. It's just like you block that one guy that's, you know, it's no different than say on defense where it's like man coverage, you cover that guy and that's all you have to worry about, right? Zone coverage, you have to be much more aware of all the things that are going on on the football field, right? And the same thing applies to the blocking because you're, you know, blocking an area as essentially how it goes. And depending on the leverage of the player, the defender and who's blocking. You know. So there are adjustments that need to be made on the fly in zone blocking scheme that don't necessarily have to be made in the man blocking scheme. And that requires thinking. And that's why, you know, it does take a little bit of time. That's why you, you often see, you know, with Mayfield and Dolman and, and other of these guys come in year one and kind of struggle. And then you see that year or two jump. So we'll see if if Bergeron can avoid falling into those pitfalls and avoid uh, those issues this summer. Um, I think the things working against Hennessy is obviously the f- team has a vested interest in Bergeron moving forward. Um, and the fact that, you know, Hennessy is probably a little undersized, uh, which is why when we initially drafted Hennessy, you know, I projected him as a center only. But again, again testament to, to Dwayne Ledford and and, and Matt Hennessy to prove that wrong by Matt Hennessy looking solid in his three starts at left guard but you know I do wonder a little bit that the durability concerns that we saw with Matt Hennessy last year because he started three games at left guard he he didn't finish two of those games and is that related to him being maybe a little bit more undersized uh at that position so that is something you know playing the guard position rather than center position so you know I don't expect Hennessy to be a pushover when it comes to this competition. He is very well versed in the scheme, having played in it for multiple years. And it does mean that I think Bergeron will have to earn the job, but obviously if it is a close competition, I think it probably goes to Bergeron, but we'll just sort of have to see about that. So at this point I would still bet on Bergeron being the week one starter at left guard, but it's far from a lock at this point in time. So we'll just see how that competition bears out, but that's not the only competition that we'll be keeping our eyes on this summer. We have to talk about the swing tackle position, and we also will wrap up today's Locked On Falcons talking about whether or not this is the end of the road for former Falcons draft picks like Jalen Mayfield and or Justin Schaefer this summer in training camp. But before we get there, guys, I do want to plug the Locked On Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Sports Atlanta podcast family. Check out Brad Roland as he breaks down all the Biggest moves and trades and free agent signings that are just around the corner with NBA free agency starting. It's going to be a pivotal offseason for the Atlanta Hawks. So make sure you check out Locked on Hawks as your first or second listen each and every day. And of course, you can subscribe to it on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. So, wrapping up today's Locked on Falcons, you know, we have another competition at the swing tackle position where the Falcons have pretty much. Very unproven depth, right? They have nobody there that really has a uh, significant NFL experience, right? You know, there are 66 career regular season snaps between the four candidates to win that swing tackle position. Those candidates are Ethan Greenidge, who has 47 of those 66 snaps. Joshua Miles, who has 19 of those 66 snaps. Barry Wesley, whose only NFL professional experience is playing this past spring in the XFL. And then you have Tyler Vrabel, son of Mike, uh, who was on the Falcons practice squad last year. And so I've been, you know, this offseason penciling miles atop the depth chart when it comes to this. And so, um, you know, I've been assuming it's his job to lose, so to speak. But we'll see, you know, and the main reason for that is because the Falcons did guarantee about $200,000 of his base salary when they signed him this offseason. And In and of of itself, it's not particularly meaningful, that number, but the fact that you compare that to what they guaranteed on Jermaine Effetti's contract when they re-signed him this offseason, which was $0, kind of tells you that the Falcons already were, you know, thinking Miles was probably going to be a better bet to stick on the roster than Effetti, and we saw that kind of bear out when Effetti was cut, you know, a week or two after the draft, Um, and so We'll just kind of see how this plays out this summer, similar to the wide receiver position where we, you've heard me talk quite a bit over the last you know month about the potential for the Falcons to explore alternative options later this summer to bring in to shore up that position. I think the same applies to the offensive tackle and swing tackle battle. We've previously mentioned uh, the sort of coaching connections between various players that are backups on the Miami Dolphins and, and coaches on this coaching staff. And we broke that down, I believe, on the June 1st episode, the May 31st episode, if you're checking out on YouTube. So go check that out if you haven't listened to it. But the main bullet points is Falcons' current assistant offensive line coach, Sean Flaherty, was an assistant in Miami a couple of years ago uh, before joining the Falcons. So he has firsthand experience coaching guys like Liam Eikenberg and Austin Jackson. And should one of those guys lose one of their starting competitions, maybe – they would be on the trade block this summer. That's a possibility. You also have a backup in Miami and Jerron Christian, who was drafted in Washington by Kyle Smith, who's been recently promoted as the Falcons assistant general manager. You have Cedric Oboehi, who was uh, like Jermaine Effetti, college teammates with Jake Matthews, Kendall Lamb played at App State, where Dwayne Ledford was an assistant there during that time. And each one of those guys all have at least a thousand, uh, if not significantly more snaps playing in the regular season at the offensive tackle position in the NFL and all of those guys have started games. And while they have been underwhelming starters, the fact that they have that experience does make them arguably better options in the event that the Falcons are forced to play their swing tackle in the event of a Jake Matthews or Caleb McGarry injury, you'd rather go with, you know, a more proven commodity, like one of those dolphins guys. So just planting that seed and we'll see what develops, Over the course of the summer, but that joint practice week that the Falcons have uh, in the first week of August before their preseason game against the Dolphins, I think is going to be a very poignant week where the Falcons will get a firsthand look at some of those Dolphins guys uh, and, and maybe, you know, potentially make a move further down the line. But the last tidbit we'll we'll discuss on today's episode is the fact that three of the Falcons recent draft picks along the offensive line. Maybe on the roster bubble heading into the summer. Those are Javon Gwynn, Jalen Mayfield, and Justin Schaefer, right? And I have a hard time seeing all three of those guys making the roster, right? I think Gwynn, his positional flexibility of playing both center and guard, and Mayfield, if he's going to get longer looks at the tackle position, his ability to play both tackle and guard, does do give them an edge over a player like Schaefer who's a guard only because that positional flexibility when you're only going to carry a handful of backups on your offensive line goes a long way right and it's likely that the falcons will keep nine offensive linemen on a roster that's been the usual number that they've had uh throughout the arthur smith tenure and if we assume you know four of those are the the entrenched starters then you have hennessy and bergeron that makes six plus whoever winds up being the swing tackle that's seven that only really leaves two roster spots available and so therefore you know one of you know Potentially, I think one of those spots is probably going to go Javon Gwynn. I was skeptical when we initially drafted Gwynn over whether or not he'd make the roster. But after watching the film, understanding uh, how big a fan Arthur Smith and and Dwayne Ledford are of, you know, the person that is Javon Gwynn, it does feel like he's probably a better bet than the other two of winning one of those roster spots. Uh, And so it kind of boils down to either Mayfield or Schaefer for that last spot and, you know, this is going to be a very important summer for both of those guys, right? We saw Mayfield miss all of last season with a back injury. You know, he's gotten some work this off at his "quote unquote" natural right tackle position, and natural meaning that he's actually played that position and, and played at a reasonably decent level in the collegiate level. But every dayers so of this podcast, going back to twenty twenty one, know that here on Locked On Falcons, we're very skeptical of whether or not Jalen Mayfield has the skill set to stick as a tackle in the NFL. Now, Schaefer was very raw coming out of Georgia, and so I'm very curious to see what type of year two jump he has. Uh, So that's going to be an interesting conversation. And not to mention that, like, you know, given the question marks surrounding Mayfield and and Schaefer, neither one of those guys are guaranteed to win that last spot because you could see the Falcons keeping someone like Ryan Neuzel or Kyle Hinton uh, for that last spot instead or one of the other tackles. Uh, especially, you know, if they go out and and get one tackle and they say like, you know, we kind of like what Ethan Greenidge did this summer, but not enough to make him the swing tackle. So maybe we'll keep him over one of these rookies. So I think there are some legit competitions along the offensive line that aren't the case uh, elsewhere at the position. So we'll see how that goes, but it's going to be important how these competitions kind of play out because we'll wrap up today's episode talking about, you know, revisiting, The notion of regression, right? And you know, my main concern for regression is the potential for injuries, right? We saw injuries last year at the left guard position, but pretty much they were non-factor at the other four starting spots. You know, back in 2016, the Falcons had the same starting five start every single game. That's a rare occurrence, at least in Falcons history. And I know that's a rare occurrence for the most part with other NFL teams as well. But you go back over the last 30 years that I've tracked this that the Falcons have had the same starting five start every game only happened four times. That's 1993, 1998, 2010, and 2016, right? In the six years since 2016, they've averaged about eight different starters, about 7.7. So round up to eight starting at least a game on their offensive line each year. Right. And of course in 2022, all of those quote unquote extra starters came at the left guard position, but there's a very real possibility that we could have, you know, three or more backups starting games this year based off of the average. um, And that won't just come at one position. And so that may be spread across multiple positions. It may be spread across multiple games because that doesn't factor in how many games those guys, it could be one game. It could be 10 games that these backups are playing. So that remains to be seen. And, you know, that's a concern for me because the Falcons are pretty young on their offensive line. Right. You know, you got rookies like Bergeron and Gwen, right? Schaefer hasn't really played. They have little to no experience at the offensive tackle position. So the only real backups they have with legit NFL experience, you know, if you assume, you know, Hennessy, right? Mayfield, who was historically bad for the one season that he played in the NFL and then Jonathan Harrison, who hasn't really played in the regular season since like 2019 and basically at best is kind of a camp body. So, you know, this is why, you know, this is a cause for concern and, and given the importance that we talked about at the top of today's episode and how my entire mood kind of hinges <laughs> on the performance of the offensive line, right? My entire approach and, and perspective hinges on it. You know, it does give me some pause, right? The, the lack of experience that the ha- Falcons have, but I'm not panicking about it. Right. You know, this is, you know, thanks to therapy and whatnot, but you know, I'm, I'm in a better place spiritually, emotionally, and, and mentally than I was a year ago worrying about this. And, and part of that is due to my belief that the Falcons, if need be, will be proactive addressing any issues along the offensive line and that lack of experience and getting some more proven depth later this summer if they need to. Right. That's the beauty of getting out of cap hell. Right, that you would actually have money to spend at the end of the summer rather than basically doing what they've done in the last two years where they could afford to basically sign one guy, right? Like it was like Wayne Gallman and whoever they signed last year. I can't remember who it is on the top of my head. Chuma Doga. Right. There you go. Offensive tackle. So clearly the Falcons have, you know, the willingness to, to make a move, but you know, now they actually have the money to 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 seriously address it. So if they need to go out there and get like two or three guys, they theoretically could afford to do so. So we'll see what happens. And I'm very interested <laughs> to see, you know, uh, to revisit this episode six months from now to see, you know, where my mood is and whether or not, you know, Mr. Drew has returned. And if Mr. Drew, you know, that negative Nancy, as my friends call me, uh, does return, you know why. It will probably be in some form or fashion attached to how the performance of the offensive line went in 2023. But I think things are looking up. And we'll see if, if that, you know, lives up to expectations. But that's going to do it for us guys here on today's Locked on Falcons. Uh, really appreciate you guys uh, continuing to make us your first listen. Uh, next week, we'll be getting into some NFC South talk, uh, as well as have a guest to talk a little bit about Matt Ryan. But there will also be an opportunity for you guys to have your questions answered probably on a Monday mailbag episode. So you can submit those via Twitter or Facebook at Locked on Falcons via email. At lockdownfalcons at mail.com. Leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel, or you can hit me up in the Lockdown Falcons Discord, a link in the description below.